engage, empower, and enable. Engage doctors through really caring about them. The empower part is around technology that supports this engagement strategy. And the last is an ecosystem of services that deal with the social determinants of health and other things, care management, coordination, navigation. You have to have the whole approach to change the culture so the payment really makes a difference. How do you create innovation and transformation in healthcare? The answer may lie in Hawaii, land of volcanoes, surfing, and a partnership. Today we're chatting with the Hawaii Medical Service Association, also known as HMSA, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Health Plan in Hawaii, and NAVIS about their collaboration to reward primary care physicians. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more on today's show, check out our show notes. Visit our online publication, Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com. Follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Jacqueline DiChiara. I'm an editor of Oliver Wyman Health. We're here in Dallas, Texas at the 6th Annual Oliver Wyman Health Innovation Summit. Here, 350 senior-level executives, including our two guests today, are convening over three days this week to talk about how to redefine healthcare. We're talking about healthcare transformation across Hawaii today with Dr. Stuart Baker, Executive Officer of NAVIS, and Mike Stoller, President and CEO of the Hawaii Medical Service Association. Stuart, Mike, so excited to be chatting with you both today. Welcome to the summit and to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to be here. So one of the key themes here at the summit is transformation. What are the components and the facets and the ingredients of transformation? I think first and foremost, you have to have a vision to what you want to transform towards. Um, otherwise, it's just scattershot and, and really loses meaning and you lose people without that vision. For us, it was a vision of an ever healthier Hawaii. And, and, and that meant that we had to change certain things, including ourselves, or maybe even primarily ourselves. We had to change our management, our leadership, completely out over the last two years because we knew we had to operate in a different way and overcome 80 years of traditional you know, health plan approaches. We knew that we had to transform our relationships with others and we knew that we had to work to build trust with people um, in ways that just weren't normal in the, in, in the traditional health plan, payer, provider um, uh, relationship. It also meant we had to get outside of our building into the community and in ways that challenged us and stretched our resources, but it, it had to be done in, uh, um, in order to connect with the community into ensuring that we were delivering things that were meaningful to them. And it meant understanding from the outside in and having the fortitude and understanding and confidence you're doing the right thing for the right reason, I think that's when you can really drive real transformation. Can you sum up really quickly, so what's one story you have where you ripped the metal, tore it apart, and you saw 
the results kind of come through. It's all about my leadership team and the fact that we needed, that we've gone through tremendous change and impact the organization when you change out 12 senior execs and bring in 12 new ones. But it was necessary, not because the people, the old people were bad at their job. They were wonderful at their job, but their job was in a different context and different time for a different vision, a different purpose. We needed people who could collaborate, who could build relationships, who could work as a team, go out in the community in a different way, and who could build trust. And that's just a different kind of person. And someday we may be the wrong people. Yeah, and adding on to that, can you describe briefly what was what's the main difference you would say in personalities and culture and management styles between the old team and the new team that replaced the old team? So, you know, the old team was schooled in transactional relationships with outsiders. Um, the old team was a command and control management team. Um, and the new team is about building relationships with outsiders and collaborating on common goals together with outsiders. And on what I would call internally, I would call social, uh, servant leadership. How do we enable people? But the business is too crazy, too difficult. It comes at you too fast for any single person at the top of an organization to handle it all. So you really do need a team, you really do need to enable people. Uh, you need to teach them so you can enable them, but it's having leadership that will will do that for uh, your employees and for your people so that you can then make that transformation happen. From the population health point of view, uh, we think of the transformation, uh, we reimagine it as having six pillars, six important elements, just to give us a little more specifics. Uh, one is, is really uh, determine the processes that you need to create this new environment and ecosystem that you're trying to create. Then make sure you have the people who are compatible and can pull off those processes. Uh, the third is, from an external facing point of view, is create and be able to relate to networks of providers and post-acute facilities and at home care, all that because they've got to be high-performing, receptive partners. Uh, the fourth is become expert in engagement and make sure that you understand that you've got to engage people in all these different ways, in all these different places, before they'll partner with you. So uh, make sure you know how to do that and get the things out of the way that are stopping engagement. Uh, the fifth is create a financial model that works, hence payment transformation. You can't have something in the way of what you want to do. And then the last, and it's last on purpose, is technology. And once you have all those first five things, you build a technology system that supports all that, as opposed to starting with technology and then figuring out what you do after that. And I think that you know, Michael and the HBA team have really tackled it that way. That's their, that's their mental model of specific transformation for their environment. So based on all of those six steps, it's such an incredible model. Which step was the hardest to implement? Which step gives you the most uh, emotional pain? What do you think about it? That's a tough yeah. question. They all, every step brings challenges. Every step is so interrelated to the other that it's almost impossible to separate them in some way. Um, but if I could highlight anything, um, it, it's not that it was a difficult step, but it, it, it's so crucial and it goes back again to relationships. We need help. And that help didn't come to us in the form of vendors. We'd never 
succeed on this journey with vendors. We needed partners, partners who were willing to try new things for the first time. Partners, just like in real relationships, you're going to have tough times, you're going to have good times, you're going to succeed, you're going to get challenged. But you have to realize you have a common goal and you figure how to work things out. You have to be very direct and honest. And as long as you keep your eye on the vision and like driven for the right purpose and the right reasons, you're going to succeed in the long run, just like any relationship. And you got to put the energy in. And that's something we have been able to find uh, with Navis, uh, who has found a way to transform themselves to work in a, a very unique environment in Hawaii, unlike any other place in the mainland. And it, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work for them to change, to understand us. And uh, it definitely took a lot of work for our folks to understand what a partnership is because we were so used to vendor relationships. Yeah, I can't tell you much. I appreciate that point of view. It feels the same way on this side also. I do want to say one other thing that um, leadership is key. And, and, uh, and there's this concept that Jim Collins has about return on luck. I think HMSA has been incredibly lucky and, and it's really serendipity of the two successive leaders they've had. So, uh, and I hadn't thought about this till this podcast, but so uh, Michael's predecessor was particularly capable of tearing steel apart and was particularly capable of having a vision and then, and then unsettling the status quo to get there. And my view is that Michael Stoller is uniquely talented to, to build it back together in this new way. And, and I don't think the same person could have done both, and I don't think either of them would be great at the other. So, so, so serendipity or somebody's wisdom in choosing the right leader at the right time, that's probably the heart. Absent that, I don't think it would have happened. So, so in that sense, that might have been the hardest thing. So the Hawaii Medical Service Association, also known as HMSA, did something pretty transformative regarding payment a couple of years back. So you no longer reimburse primary care physicians for the number of patient visits. Instead, physicians get a lump sum based on past payments. So tell me a little bit more about this, set the scene for us, and also tell us what kind of impact has this had on physician engagement? Really curious to learn more. Sure. Um, So uh, back in 2015, working with our partners from Navis and the University of Pennsylvania, we set out on an undertaking to change the way we pay primary care physicians. And we did it primarily because we knew that just paying for volume wasn't really going to make an impact on the sustainability of the healthcare system in Hawaii. You know, I think the fact that we engaged the physicians early, that we listened to their uh, desires and aspirations, made a huge difference in how the entire community took to this program. And it wasn't easy even, even with that, but without that level of engagement, without building trust with our physician community over time, uh, I don't think this program really would have even gotten off the ground. Um, we continue those efforts today. We continue with our advisory committee. We have a governance committee on a number of issues. And we continue to learn, get feedback, and make adjustments to the program as we go. The docs today are reimbursed a base PMPM, um, and they also have, in addition, quality incentive uh, uh, measures on top and a total cost of care 
uh, opportunity to make additional revenue. When we moved people out of the program, we realized that, um, you know, these were small businesses for the most part. A lot of the docs in Hawaii are independent, running small offices. And we just couldn't suddenly move everybody to some global average or, or whatnot. So we simply um, translated where they were at in terms of their fee-for-service revenue into a PMPM. So we had quite a range uh, of, of PMPMs from $13 all the way to $40. And really the only thing explained it when we did our testing against what was driving that was really the variability in practice. Um, so we told them and worked with them to uh, make sure it was clear that over time, people were going to move up and down on the scale. And that low, um, high quality, low cost stocks were going to continually move up. And high cost, low quality stocks were going to move down that scale. And that process and those movements are based on um, their quality, their, their cost, their access for our members, um, their Ill the illness burden of their panel and the social determinants of their panel as well. Um, and so we began moving them uh, on that spectrum beginning uh, this year. And every year for the next three years, we'll up the degree to which the, those factors drive um, where they fall in the PNPM. So this year, a third of those, uh, of those factors help move them next year to be two thirds in the following year. The whole thing will, will move based on those factors. So docs are figuring out how they have to, and we've worked with them quite a bit, and we've also deployed hundreds of resources to help them uh, in the field and in their offices. And docs are figuring out how to expand their panel, uh, their attributed members, to gain revenue. Docs have figured out how to uh, succeed on the quality measures by delivering quality preventive and upstream care uh, for their patients. And docs are working collaboratively together within their physician organizations to figure out how to impact the total cost. Yeah, that's great. And to kind of tie into that idea of physician collaboration and uh, all of the cultural shifts that you've enabled, um, maybe Stuart, you can take this one over too. Um, what kinds of cultural shifts do you think we need most, especially in areas like population health, leadership, management, the gaps we need to fill, just kind of bringing physicians together in spite of all those changes? Sure, well, that's, a, that's a pretty full question. But uh, it, it was pretty clear to HMSA and to us that the fee-for-service system was simply in the way of doctors doing what they want to do. Uh, so, so the formula itself, I think, is very innovative. It does deal with a lot of potential unintended consequences. But to get to your cultural question, the, um, the way in which it was done, the process of engagement, doing things with doctors, not to them or around them, are really the critical aspects of this. So it really does take a cultural transformation. It really took HMSA looking at themselves and saying, is there something about the way we do business that is counter to where we want to go? And, and the answer was yes, sitting across the table, negotiating zero sum was not the way that HMSA felt they needed to be to move docs and the whole system along. So this idea of engaging doctors, caring about doctors, what's important to them, all providers, was I think an essential piece of this. So that what you might think is a soft cultural change 
it, it's really the essence of it, in my view. So the, one more thing about that, which is that this is Teddy Roosevelt line that people don't uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and so HMSA, because of the nature of Hawaii, but this is true elsewhere as well, really expressed that caring and made sure they did all through the company that we care about providers, we care about the well-being of our docs. They adopted that the quadruple aim aspect where the, you know, the provider well-being is part of it. And moving that way, they began to change the culture internally and then the culture of how they connected with providers. Very important. Yeah, and what's what's the ripple effects um, when you change the physician culture, kind of trickling down to the consumers and the patients and the sure. members? Right. Yeah. So you begin to get this transformation of of people now working together towards a shared aim. And, and Michael will talk about this, but the payment transformation is really one step along uh, the journey to this member experience transformation. So what everyone's trying to do in this experiential economy is provide a unique, satisfying experience, uh, which is not a characteristic of healthcare at all, is it? No. That's got, is it? But yeah. it's got to be done in conjunction with providers and payers. Uh, so Michael's very interested now in doing that, and it's got people have to be aligned around that. Sure, we we've worked very hard uh, the last couple of years helping the docs understand um, that at the point where a person chooses their health plan, which in Hawaii is typically uh, at the employer site, that they're really making a choice between the free choice system and our competitors who are a closed system. And that HMSA really is a reflection uh, at that moment in time of the free choice system. And unless we work together, payers and providers, because we are that system, uh, and unless we engage in a member transformation in terms of access, convenience, all things that are expected today, that we together will lose members slash patients to other systems that can provide that. And that's been a hard transition from just transactional negotiation. But it's, we're making headway, people are getting it, we're building trust around how we work at that together. And that's really where uh, the difference is being felt. And, and this payment transformation is part of a, an entire theory of the case about how to move things, how to change things. And, and I think what, what HMSA has come to understand is that it's an engage, empower, and enable strategy. So engage doctors through really caring about them, creating the right financial mechanisms, and having them at every important table so they understand what's cooking. The, the empower part is around technology, which is really second. It, you can't start with technology. There's technology that supports this engagement strategy. And then the doctors involved in the care model development. And the last, and this is really interesting, we get Michael to talk about this, is, is an ecosystem of services that deal with the social determinants of health and other things, care management, coordination, navigation, that doctors know are critically important, but they don't have the time, expertise, energy uh, to do themselves, but they would love to have a reliable, easy, accessible system that they, uh, feedback from which they get that deals with those uh, activities. So you have to have the whole approach to change the culture so the payment really makes a difference. You know, Stuart talked about the, uh, the, big, the big change and the payment was one element in 
in that change. Uh, and let me give you a little more context around that. Um, at HMSA, about five years ago, we undertook something we call mahie. Mahie is a Hawaiian word. It comes from an allegory, uh, ancient Hawaiian allegory, about a fern that transforms itself into a young woman who becomes a caregiver. And it's that transformation that we embody, starting with ourselves. And we realized that if we were going to um, uh, engage the rest of our stakeholders, we had to start with ourselves as well. And, and that's been hard work. Um, you know, we celebrated our 80th anniversary this year, and we have 80 years of culture and history that we, uh, in, some, in, in some respect, had to overcome almost um, and go back to our roots um, uh, to make this transformation happen. And that transformation really engages all of our stakeholders, the physicians, the hospitals, our communities, every individual person who has to be in the center of things, our employer groups and our government. And it, we really had to change the way we work with all of those people. To Stuart's point, we have engaged our community in new and unique ways, particularly around the social determinants of health, and particularly around those organizations who are bumping up right next to the medical delivery system. And so there are a lot of organizations who are engaged in things that determine people's health, whether it's housing, jobs, transportation, all, all sorts of things. And we are trying to bring them closer together to the medical delivery system so that both entities, both systems, can see what's happening across that whole continuum of care. And so if a patient is discharged from the hospital, needs social services, needs home care, needs um, a accompaniment at home, you know, even, or, or, or basic help at home, Working with Navis and a system called Corio, this is the technology, we've built a platform that enables everyone from the physician, their care team, the case managers, the social service agencies to see that care plan and ensure that all the right things are happening throughout that continuum of care. Uh, whereas beforehand, people would leave the office and no one would know what's going on and people had no feedback loops or feedback mechanisms. So we've, as I mentioned earlier, have deployed literally 200 resources, nurses, um, social workers, pharmacists, behavioral health people, to support our members, the doctors, patients, and help those people who need it the most, and help them navigate through the system. And this technology just makes it so much easier. It, make, it allows us to scale more. It allows us to focus on the right people at the right time, since it's near live data. And that is making a tremendous difference in our ability difference in our ability to touch people and actually provide help. Do you have an example of a situation where data filled in the gaps for you and told you more about a patient's needs where the social determinants were getting in the way of uh, a diagnosis or some kind of care delivery gap? We've got a uh, program over on the big island of Hawaii um, in, a t in a town called Hilo which is the county seat for, uh, for uh, Big Island. And uh, it involves many community organizations that have been brought together, and the entire de medical delivery system was brought together. And they're sitting there working on issues together and, and figuring out what is getting in the way. And the data has shown very clearly, this is a very remote rural area. The volcano hit there uh, right down the road and caused all sorts of problems. And the number one issue for people 
in all lines of business there is transportation. How do they get to the agencies, to the medical facilities, to the doctors, to the pharmacies that they need to get to in this very rural and remote place? And too many people didn't have any means of transportation. The bus might come once a day. People have to go to work, so there's no cars available. So what do we do? So we're working with that community to identify alternative means of transportation. How can we help provide rides or bring care to them? We have a pharmacy we work with that'll actually deliver meds to the general store in a town a few miles down the road. And then people come to that general store and pick it up. So we're just trying to overcome all those barriers and obstacles. The data was very clear on that. Yeah, that's a great example. And I would think that most healthcare organizations aren't worried about a, a volcano erupting. Uh, most of the uh, time, but everyone has their But own there's always something. There. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are, yeah, New York City, yeah, Boston. I just yeah. want to talk about this, back to the culture and connect all this a little bit more. The, uh, the reason to get rid of fee-for-service is the same reason that, that the social terms of health are being addressed, is that we need to move from episodic event health and health care to continuous health care. So we've got to pay in a way that's commensurate with that. We have to set up systems. And we ha- and there are two philosophy points that, um, that HMSA has, has adopted that we've been involved in. One is this idea of never stop caring. So the whole idea of discharge is really very provider-focused. I mean, the patients, they're, they're not discharged from your condition or from your life situation or whatever. They're just discharged from a particular place. So how do we make sure that we never stop caring? And the second piece that deals with this is the, you know, we always ask, what's the matter with you? And then we tell people what the matter with them is, and then that's, we tell them what we do to them. What, what we're trying to switch to, what HMA is thinking about, is what matters to people. And if we understand what matters to people, then we'll have to develop a health and healthcare system that's much better. So that's really a very important design feature, and it also extends to the provider world. What matters to the providers? If we can connect all that together, then we have a sustainable system that is HMSA's vision and mission. And let me touch on two points relative to that. One is, we are really going back to our roots. So HMSA as a health plan is a little different than almost every other plan I know of, in that we were not started by doctors, we were not started by uh, hospitals, we were not started by venture capitalists or equity managers. We were started by teachers and social workers out of the community. So it's that connection with the community and understanding that connection with the community and going back to that that I think really enables us in part to make a difference uh, culturally and and to the things that really matter uh, to health or that have been ignored for too long. A great example uh, when it comes to doctors wanting to practice in a particular way and make a difference, we have a pediatrician on the windward side of Oahu, who, because of the new payment system, doesn't have to worry about patients not coming into her office, because that's the only way she used to get paid. And she knows that teenagers who need to come in for counseling and certain checkups, father of three daughters, I get this, who need to go in and have regular visits, just aren't coming in. They're busy after school, they're socializing, they're at Starbucks, they're here, they're there. Well, because of the new payment system, she actually leaves her office. She's paid already. She goes to Starbucks and meets people there. She meets her kids there. And she's able to go off, counsel them, and 
deal with them and engage them in a way that the fee-for-service system just wouldn't allow. So it's meeting where people where they're at. It's a doctor who now is free to practice in new, innovative ways to make sure things actually get done. And that's very fulfilling for her and not just sitting in her office. And so the system is, is, is meant to go upstream, tie into the social determinants, and it's meant to let the physicians practice in a way that's satisfying to them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, what kind of greater push do you see across the industry to ensure that patients are being cared for well beyond when they leave the doctor's office or even points of care um, involving telehealth and telemedicine? So there's a lot going on. There's an app for this and there's an app for that and there's a program here and there's a program there and there's, there's so many things people realize that need to be done across the industry and I I sit with many other blues leaders and I, I see all the things people are involved in and everybody's giving tremendous effort trying one to figure out what's going on how best to address it and then trying to find solutions to do that but what I like about our approach is we've really tried to take a systemic approach and, and capture all the things that need to be done map all those things out systemically and try to tackle them literally try to tackle them all in some fashion and through people, processes, technology, engagement, I think we've been able to do a fairly, very thorough undertaking that really touches all the components that are necessary because you leave one out and the system collapses. Yeah, I think this is a really important point that Michael makes because the same thing, again, I'm going to make an analogy between the payment system and uh, what Michael's talking about uh, from design. It's been shown, and HMSA ran into this, you can't uh, bolt on a few incentives here and there to a fee-for-service system and expect change. You can't have 10% quality, they tried this, and then see dramatic improvements in quality and cost, uh, or even 10% cost. You have to change the whole thing. So that's, hence, this payment transformation is an entirely different system that really is very aligned with what, what HMSA is trying to do. And similarly, designing... The, uh, the continuum of care work, it can't be an app that's edited on here or there. It's got to be designed from the beginning. So it's one continuous journey that everyone is connected to. And that, the technology helps with that and the whole philosophy helps with that. You've been talking about the patient, you know, the whole journey and filling in all the gaps and how you're closing the loop. You know, the community member started everything. So there's such a strong level of just connectedness and inclusion, and it's, it's such a, a people-first model, and it's, it's just such a groundbreaking system. Yeah. There are certain disadvantages to being uh, a group of tiny islands out in the middle of, of the Pacific. <laughs> but there are yeah. also certain advantages, and some of those advantages revolve around our culture, our isolation and the need to do things together. All our kids, uh, you know, whether you're on the payer side, the provider side, the employer side, we all went to the same schools. Our kids go to the same schools. We run into each other at the grocery, you, you, you know, market, and, and, and we can't escape each other, right? And so it's no place to harbor anger and, and, and frustration. It's a place where 
people work, have to work things out. And it's just culturally part of who we are. Um, and we just apply that to the healthcare delivery system and to the community as a whole. And there's no reason why we can't bring it, bring it all together because culturally it's just who we are. Right, and, and, and I think there are lessons that can be taken to the mainland there too. There's an old African proverb that says, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, and that's very much what Michael's talking about. It's a man of sayings and proverbs. That's right. I mean, that's, that's my deal. So the, uh, and, and that is a philosophy that's got to happen because we have the, the provider uh, world and we have the payer world and the DMZ in between. And you know, how do we bring that together? It's got to be partnerships that form to solve these problems. I think it's the only way. And that's what you know, one of the things about. we engaged with was uh, a uh, leadership group um, run by the Omidyar Enterprise uh, from eBay and, and, and his foundation, actually, that looks at very large, difficult problems in the world today. They call them cloud problems versus clock problems, which are sort of tactical. I can work on that. I can solve that. But things like homelessness, health care, environmental concerns, things like that. Big, really big, difficult problem. And what what they help you do is they help you map systems. So we did an exercise called system mapping where we, around a central question we're trying to solve for, we mapped out the healthcare system in Hawaii. And that healthcare system was huge because if you include all the upstream efforts, all the parts, stakeholders involved, somehow or other, this map literally takes up an entire wall. And we're not claiming we have the system right, but we're saying here's a start and we're giving that map out to all the stakeholders in our community. And we're saying, you can create your version, add on, edit, subtract. Let's work together to try to figure out what are the points in this system we can actually tackle together, right? And um, where can we make a difference? Where do you get leverage and synergy if you attack certain parts of it? Where are the dead ends? And what has to change? And we're using that as a tool with all our health systems, with our provider groups, with others, just to say, you, you may th look at the system differently, have at it, but whatever we end up with, how are we going to work on that together? And that changes everybody's perspective. Let's close this out with one final question. We ask this of all our podcast guests. It's a very difficult question, but one that's very important. And a theme that um, I'm sure you'll, you'll definitely hear people discussing uh, here at the summit. So if you had all the time, all the money, all the resources in the entire world, you could wave a big magic wand and fix anything about healthcare. Again, a very difficult question. What would you do? You know, it's very tempting to say I'm going to spend the money on fixing the data or fixing this or fixing that element or whatnot. Um, all back, you know, when I when I step back and look at it, and I, I, I don't sure money's the answer, but I'll, I'll give you this answer anyway. Uh, but it's about building trust. And the system needs to trust. The entities in the system need to trust themselves and trust each other. That they can work on solutions and find common ground um, to make headway in these very challenging and difficult areas and working in the in communities is probably the best way to tackle it and have communities come together 
build that trust, solve problems together. Um, it, it, everything else is just a detail, as far as I'm concerned. It's a, it's a hard political question, of course. I, I guess the two things I would say uh, are that we've got to switch the system around to develop a deep understanding about consumers, people, what matters to them, and, and focus on that. Uh, and there's so many little and big things that, are, that can relate to that. And the second piece is things need to be connected. We have to have the Internet of Things apply to health so that uh, all this stuff about technology and data, is, I mean, that becomes in the background. But everything is connected so that everybody has access to all the information that they need, where they want it, when they want it, uh, so that that becomes, so there's no deficit of information. Uh, I think if we could do those two things, that those would be the first things I would conquer. And it'd be great to build that on a bed of trust for sure. Probably absolutely required. Excellent. Stuart, Mike, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure learning about your hard work and your journey and your vision for the industry forward. It's just been a fantastic chat. I'll see you around Dallas. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring guests like Comcast, Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.